What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, let's see. I think the more accolades that your guest has on a podcast like this, the less they need you to run through them. And this person um, needs me to run through their accolades like they need another hole in their head. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's my podcast and they don't get a choice. Uh, he is a columnist for Major League Baseball, contributing editor to New York Magazine, uh, movie critic, co-host of the Grierson Unleashed podcast, the founder of Deadspin, and the author of several books, including his upcoming debut debut novel. Even though he did kind of write a novel before, but it was a young adult <laughs> novel, so I don't know if we're going to get into that. Anyway, it's called Lucky. Uh, Will Leach, how are you, man? Very well. Thank you for uh, thank you for putting another hole in my head. I appreciate that. That was a, that was a good opportunity. Uh, thank you. No, it's my, it's my honor. As I said I'm a, I have to give a shout out to my editor at, uh, at Major League Baseball. Uh, my editors all over the place. My editor at Major League Baseball, Matt Myers, is a huge, huge Knicks fan. And when we are trying not to uh, uh, bash our heads against the wall with what's going on in baseball, uh, we turn to something more positive, which is the Knicks. <laughs> So we we have been talking. So he is the one that, that initially introduced introduced me to to. Uh, I had known who you were, but like had gotten like very obsessed with all the work, the great work you're doing now. So I have Matt Myers to thank for that. He's a loyal uh, follower as well. So I'm honored to be on and talk about uh, something that isn't baseball politics. Or just the general sadness of life at this particular I, moment. A couple things. One, I think we. We specialize in putting additional holes in people's heads here at the Next <laughs> Film School podcast. So, I, I, you know, um, I'm glad that we've kept that trend continuing. Um, yeah, when the Knicks are the good thing that you turn to in your life, that is the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's the time to start asking questions. Um, we're going to get to them soon. Um, I, I, I have to ask you about a couple of things before we get to them, though, because, uh, you know, look, as far as I'm concerned, you are um, – as good as anyone doing it today and just writing about um, all kinds of different things. And I think, you know, you've talked about this in your newsletter. It's something I forgot to mention. You also have a newsletter. That's fantastic. You've written about it recently, like the balance of having to continue to write about things that are not all of the things that are going on all around us, which are so much more important than all of the stuff that we write about every day. But you know, there's also the idea of like, well, distractions are important, but then there's, well, no, maybe they aren't important. You, you touched on this in your baseball column the other day. How are you how are you navigating through these waters? I'm curious. You know, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to, because in a lot of ways, you know, uh, I'll write a column like that where I've written, I think, a couple in the last uh, month or so about uh, one specifically in the wake of the protests where it felt 
that uh, paying attention to sports felt almost like morally wrong (laughs) in in that. uh, And but on the other hand, uh, I find myself staring at the television waiting for my sports to come back on. And I think, you know, I think that that kind of emotional uh, and personal balance is somewhat something that I think everyone's trying to figure out a little bit. And I think it's changed a lot, even as kind of the pandemic has gone on. You know, I mean, already the last dance feels like this wistful thing. <laughs> like oh, was, my God. It was, yeah, it was Tiger King. And then it was last dance. And all of these things already feel like they happened 30 years ago. So, you know, uh, every everything is constantly changing throughout this. And I think that now that sports is starting to kind of ramp up to come back, at a time where this, if they're going to come back this year, this is the time they're going to have to do it. But it's also in the midst of so many other things going on. You know, I think sports, like a lot of things that I write about and a lot of entertainment things are designed to be distractions. That's the point. Uh, I feel that, um, you know, the, 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 there's a whole stick to sports idea. And I, for the record, I think it is, is impossible to, to disassociate sports from politics in the outside world. However, I understand why people try to do it because life is really complicated and life is really hard. And when I sit down to watch a Knicks game or a Cardinals game, I'm there because if they win, I am happy. And if they lose, I am sad. And there's a simplicity in that that is absent in every other aspect of life. And so to me, that is one of the joys of sports. But you know, I think a lot of the things that are popping up in sports People talk about sports being a microcosm society, and I feel like all the same uh, things that uh, the virus and the protests and everything else that's been going on have shined this light on all of these problems uh, in America and really in the world that we were all kind of like, yeah, we know that's there. We know that's there. I've been like, I, I'm just one man. What can I do? Let's watch the game. And you're seeing like a lot of the, a lot of that same uh, inequities. Uh, a lot of the same battles between uh, management and labor and a lot of the things that are really the central issues of our time flat on the surface of what's going on in sports. So it's not even subtext. Like it's right there going on in all these things. So for me, I feel like actually there's a way I haven't figured out exactly how to do it yet, but I do think there's a way to be an ethical sports fan and also realize that our love of sports actually can help give us more insight what's going on in the world instead of just hiding us from it. I I think that's a, a great approach. And, you know, you, you, you talk about like the, I'm just one man. I've never been so many times, like I've only been really active on Twitter for I guess about three years now. And there've been so many times where I wanted to retweet something or comment on something and I would stop myself because I'm like, the people who follow me don't want to hear me talk about this. And I think to your point, I kind of think maybe maybe that's what's changing. Like, you know, you had the great piece about Goodell and Trump recently. I wrote about, you know, kind of looking at Dolan and what he does with the media. It's like, well, if you feel that way, then you kind of got to look at the guy in the White House and ask some of the same questions. And like, where does. And so I'm sitting here and I'm starting to turn the corner, but then I have to stop and ask myself, I'm like, do I owe it to the people who read me to give them the out, you know? And I like you, like I, I'm more strictly Nick. So I guess it's maybe a tougher question for me, but how, how much do you grapple with like, do, do the people even want to read what I'm, I'm writing right now, as far as it comes to certain things? Oh, I grapple with that for whatever I write about anything. I don't know why anyone's paying attention in the first place. Uh, but I would say when it comes to this specifically, 
You know, I, to me, it, it's just a matter of the whole – listen, wh- whether someone likes my writing or whether they don't like my writing, I think the thing that I have to offer – you know, I'm not Ken Rosenthal or, or Woj out like getting scoops on these things. That feels like – I have such respect for those people, but man, does that job seem miserable uh, to me <laughs> in every possible way. I mean the number of agents that you have to talk to for oh, crying God. out loud. And so you know, I have a lot of respect for that, but I, I just something I'm not – I wouldn't be good at if I was interested in it. And I'm definitely not interested in it. For me, I feel like my job, and uh, and this is a, probably an oversimplified version of it, but my job is to be honest about the experience of being a, an enthusiast in these things. And, you know, one of the things that when I first started my career, you know, I went to journalism school at the University of Illinois. And the thing they always told you is you can't cheer for your teams. and You can't, you're not supposed to be a fan of anything. And, and I think that's kind of gotten it out a little outdated now, but for a long time, that was a big part of sports journalism. And I made a very ch- choice very early on. Uh, first of all, I wasn't sure I actually wanted to go into sports. Sports was just kind of an accident. Deadspin was kind of like really? my last chance. Yeah. I, I never wanted to be a sports writer. I wanted to be a, um, write about movies and, and um, yeah, Deadspin just kind of happened because I had written for uh, written a lot for other sites and they'd seen my work and I had an idea for a sports site. But but it's funny because it's actually based in that same kind of idea. Sure. And, yeah. and that I realized early on that like you know what I like sports and most of the people that I have found uh, that cover sports or do this professionally don't <laughs> or at least have become like weirdly cynical about yeah. it or moved from it. And I just, I like sports too much to do that. I'm too uh, invested in their pointlessness to, uh, to, to act. I, I know it's, listen, I know it's a business. I know it's cynical about all these things. I get all that. But like, if I'm, my job is to write about sports from the perspective of someone who truly and deeply loves sports and therefore engages with them seriously and does not do like, you know, I would be a terrible radio talk show host because I literally have zero thoughts about Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers. I mean, other than <laughs> it seems like it might be kind of fun. I don't know. Let's see what happens. It like, looks I just, funny I'm, in the uniform. That's about yeah, it. Like, yeah, I guess so. But like, like, it'll be fun to see what happens. It's kind of weird. But, you know, I have no thoughts on what that means for him as a human being or what that stands for about the state of the NFL. Like stuff like that. I don't care about stuff like that. To me, it is about the but what it's like when we do this thing either collectively or individually to be obsessed and over the, to be obsessed over these things. We will we'll talk when we talk about the next, like the amount of mental space I have uh, thought the amount of hours I have thought about Anthony Randolph in my life <laughs> is embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. But I wasn't like, going to blow up your spot. Uh, you did. Yeah, yeah, just... well, we can get into that. But like, like for me, uh, that's the fun of sports, right? It doesn't, I always make this argument, particularly you're seeing this with baseball right now with the fight between the players and the owners. I think the owners are, are I would argue, are not 100% to blame, but certainly more to blame than, than the players are. But, you know, the, what's frustrating about that to me is, you know, uh, uh, I cared about the Cardinals. I'll use the Cardinals as an example. That's my team. I cared about the Cardinals before they had their current owner, before anyone that plays for that team was there, before they were in the stadium that they were in now, before they had some of the uniforms they have now. And I will care about it after all of these people are gone. That to me is more interesting than who's fighting with so and so in the locker room and who is who's who's going to get fired for this job. That is, I think, how we re- legitimately interact with sports is the idea that it's 
personal, but like the like the New York Knicks to me are different than Jim Nolan's Knicks, Jim Dolan's Knicks, or or the Carmelo era, or the Lynn era. All that stuff is just this collective, ongoing story that, that has been told since I became a Knicks fan and will be told until I die. That is the story to me is a lot more interesting to tell. What's it like to care about sports and to be invested in sports and the stories of sports and the world of sports? To me, that that's my job. Uh, so, uh, and that's what I love to write about. So because of that, it's easier for me uh, because of these sort of ethical questions that we're talking about, that's literally what my beat is, is to discuss that notion of, of how much should we care about this? Am I wrong for being too much to care about this? What does, what does Goodell saying Black Lives Matter actually say about the larger world and like where Donald Trump stands right now? I think that like that to me is the fun stuff to write about. It's much, much more interesting for me to write about that than to, uh, I mean, for crying out loud, I'll read uh, poor Vorkanov, who's like a, such a good, uh, uh, such a good beat reporter. But man, like halfway through that season, you can just see him go, "Oh my god!" Like this is good. we're only halfway through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to write stories every single game, and I get it. And he's really good at it. It speaks to how good he is and how good like a really great beat reporter is to be able to do that. I would die. Like I literally like but, that would suck the fun out of sports for me. And so I, I I have to take a different angle or I can't do it. But there's a reason that fans are not. I mean, there's lots of reasons why fans are not beat reporters for their teams. And it's, you know, it, it's definitely something I've needed to, you know, everything you just said are things I feel like I've, I've needed to grapple with kind of as the season's gone along. And um, I mean, we haven't played games in several months, but when it was going along um, and kind of getting that access. And, and then, you you know, <laughs> to your point about Vork, like I'll look to my left. And I'll look to my right at, you know, Berman or Begley and or Vork and I'll be like, well, the look on their face is probably not the same look on my face right now as I'm stepping into, you know, the Nick locker room, which is this hallowed place to them. It's. You know, it's their job. It's what they're there to do. Um, and I think the, uh, ideally and I'll forgive me on this, but like I feel like the strike zone is in the middle on that. Right. Like the, like uh, like to me, uh, you can be. I've always been a big proponent of team personal blogs and like people that write about the teams or, or Twitter accounts or so on. And I like, sure, you are rooting for the Knicks. I am rooting for the Knicks. I bre- I spent I covered the Lynn year like for the New York magazine. So I was like in the locker room and at the games and doing all that. But like I was a Knicks fan. But as a Knicks fan, it was not just like, oh, Everything is going well. I'm a Knicks fan, and therefore the only thing that matters is me making the Knicks happy. Like a fan is just as critical as any beat reporter, if not more so. Very and much. So agree. I feel like I feel like you can you can have that strike zone of being a fan of t- of a team, but also holding them and very accountable. And the idea that like uh, being a fan of a team means that you are a fanboy, like you're some like Justice League release the Snyder cut person, uh, <laughs> like like you know the the notion that like you, just because you're a fan of a team, you just support them no matter what and think everything they do is great. Clearly, the Knicks are an example of why that's not true. Uh, but I so I think. That, like I think you can do both of those things. I don't think you have to be the growling, growling person in the back, being like, "Next, here they go screwing up again." And I also don't think you you have to be. Uh, you know, uh, yay, Knicks, everything they do is awesome. I want to work up the move up the MSG org chart. Uh, I think there's a place in the middle uh, that I think is actually where the perfect strike zone is. Well, it's it's so funny you talk about that because I think when I talk about or I tweet about or I write about 90 or 95 percent of things that have to do with the Knicks and I'm critical, nobody has an issue with it. And yet 
the one thing, the one guy who what I'm critical of and I'm critical in a certain fashion that people give me shit for is Dolan. And I... I th- I can't quite figure out why. I think it's because he's like this amorphous thing that's out there that so much is known, but at the same time, so little is known. I mean, uh, by the way, when Prokhorov said what he's the little man comment, did yeah. you did you draw? Did, did you have to pick it up off the floor? Or were you just kind of like <laughs> moving right along? I, I have to ask that. He was having like whatever. He knew what he was doing. He knew what, he, knew what he was doing, and and good for him. Like I thought it was fun. Like they were so mad. <laughs> they were so mad. Oh my god, uh, I can imagine. Uh, they were so mad. And uh, but like it's like he said it. Like like where would I come up with that? <laughs> like that's such a weird. And so like it, to me, uh, it was it was this sort of fun. Like that you know, the, it wasn't that surprising to me because frankly, this was. You know, this was the time where they were throwing gauntlets at each other, right? Yeah. Like this is the time where he clearly – they had the billboard across from the garden and they were clearly trying to like start that sort of fight. And it's funny. You know, to me, everyone else has their overarching story uh, – theories of the of Dolan and MSG. For me, the, here's here, to me, I feel like I've kind of understood MSG corporate culture uh, from one particular point. Uh, it was right after I had left Deadspin. And so I was still like the young guy. Like, oh, like, you know, like there's a young sports reporter, you know, like, like the idea. <laughs> Like, like, you, know, do you remember there was a show called The Lineup on MSG, and it was a baseball show. It was hosted. Uh, it had, uh, it had the it had Sparky Lyle. Uh, it had. Uh, the oh, you're Gary going Carter. way back. Yeah, and, but I was on it. Like I was on it because it was like basically four very old people and me. I was like the young guy. And yeah, I was not actually that young and definitely not cool. But like they were so de- – so they had this show on MSG that was about baseball. And there were like all these different episodes of the show where you talk about the best New York catcher ever, the best New York first baseman. And, they, and we filmed them all in like two days. It was really fun. And they were very happy with the show. And so they had the launch party for the show. So I was there and Gary Carter was there and Sparky Lyle and, uh, and all. All of these people were there and after and and, and I, I was on the like the press area like dais and i made i made some jokes because it's not that hard hard to be funnier than sparky lyle and um so i made a few jokes and it, go, it went well and so afterwards someone from msg came over to me and he said hey that was great man listen would you like to do some promotion uh, for the show like i just give just uh, give me your number and uh, and i'll call you up to do promotion i'm like sure yep whatever you want to do i'm happy i'm honored to do the show it was fun to do and i can i'm happy to help out in any way that i can and uh, and he's like, great, great. So then about 10 minutes later, someone else comes up and says the same thing to me. Oh, my God. In an almost like word for word. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever you guys want. I'm happy to help out. The next day I get a call from a third person being like, I don't know if you talked to Joe or Tom or so on, but I'm your contact on this. <laughs> and then like an hour later, I got an email that like had all of them CC'd on it, like saying, no, I am the contact person for Will on this. And I literally just like, guys, I don't like get your shit together man like this but to me that's the culture like that's the culture of msg is this idea that everyone is out to get each other all the time and it's all infighting and there's no like clear organization and it's all competitive within the office because there's no clear leader and it's all this kind of like you know the joker breaks off the cue stick and says we're having tryouts and and (laughs) maybe they should do that actually hold on i'd like to propose formally (laughs) and so to me that always kind of illustrated the msg problem that went beyond just dolan and beyond just the knicks is the idea that like this is a dysfunctional corporation and uh, but does that go beyond dolan 
Like, no, I, I, I mean, clearly he sets the tone on it. But yeah, I'm, I'm not like bland, saying, nope, no, Dolan just happened to be standing by while he ran a company where everybody hates each other and nothing ever gets done. Like clearly I think it's, it's definitely him. But I, it, it, to me it shows how pervasive it is that this very minor thing. Uh, involving a very minor program with a very minor panelist uh, became this huge fight where they were like, I said I talked to him and, you know, this is my department. This is not your department. And I'm literally on this email chain as they are fighting with each other over over who was supposed to be doing this. And it's just like, guys, like I like never mind, <laughs> like forget it. I'm sorry I even I- met you people. And to <laughs> me that that really almost kind of I always think about that and this kind of informed my thoughts about the Knicks and and Dolan and MSG ever since then is it's not like I don't think any of those people are jerks. I just think they're in a culture in an unhealthy corporate culture. And when that happens, um, nothing ever gets done. And people their people's only job is to keep their job. Uh, you see, I, I worked for Yahoo briefly and Yahoo had this problem, too, where uh, you realize you go in and you try to do something new and you run into like seven or eight people that are stopping you. And you wonder, why are these – I'm just trying to make something. I'm just trying – to. maybe you don't like it, but I'm like trying to make something. And you realize there are people whose job there are to stop you from doing anything at all because their job is just to keep their office. And to me, MSG, that was very illustrative of the general problem with MSG. And I, I've never forgot it ever since then. But you even wrote about it – it was like a year and a half ago. You wrote your your Mellow article about, and you mentioned at the top of it how yes. someone from his team called you up to set up an interview when he first got to the Knicks. Of course, of and, course. And you got – you wrote, you got four calls from uh, different people working for exactly. the Knicks who were giving you exactly. shit. <laughs> it's absolutely wild. And, 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 and it's fine too. And what was interesting about that is that was even a little bit different because they weren't trying to fight for me. They were all fighting over Carmelo. Yeah. It was who – because it was right after he'd gotten – it was right after the trade. It was one of the very first things that he'd done and his people reached out and and, I, and of course, you know, as a journalist for New York Magazine, I don't – like I'm not a beat reporter. So I don't have to go make sure that Sopranowitz or whoever it was at the time, uh, like I've got his approval. I don't care. I don't really – I don't sit in the press box. I don't need that stuff. I Whoever gets me the interview, that's my friend. And so uh, when that happened uh, – because basically our, Carmelo's people reached out to me in New York Magazine and said, great. Uh, uh, we'd love to do this. And it was awesome and it worked out great. And then everybody freaked out. But they didn't freak out because I had like gone around them. They just wanted to know who – who in the Carmelo camp to be mad at? Oh, yes. And, okay. and, and I felt like that was very kind of telling as well. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we, we got to at some point get to something positive about this team. So there, how about this? Let's talk about Carmelo Anthony. Um, I'm assuming you, like me, if you're a, a betting man, you're going to bet that he will uh, be spending next season in blue and oranges. Does this make you happy? I'd like to see it. I, I think that it'd, not, it'd be nice to see that. Uh, uh, it'd be nice to see him get an ovation because uh, I'm, I'm, I believe you agree with me. I'm, I'm sure he would get one. I think oh, he'd be, be sure. worn back very, very welcomely. And but you know, you were there. We all were there when he was there. It was like that first night was obviously wonderful, and he was still a popular player. But I mean, he took all the slings and arrows constantly, and it never really quite worked out. And you know, a lot of the Carmelo stuff is again. I mean, he's Carmelo, and he's a great player. He just wasn't 
LeBron. And he wasn't he wasn't the all encompassing player that uh, that uh, everyone wanted him to be. But he was obviously still a great player. And to me, I always remember my favorite Carmelo game. Do you remember the first year he got there and that that loss to the Celtics? Oh, in the playoffs. Yeah. But he was absolutely incredible in every possible way. But they lost. And uh, but and that he was very overmatched. Uh, but he was so good to be able to to get the bad feelings kind of washed away a little bit. I would ex- example of this, and forgive me, I'm going to do a baseball Cardinals thing again. Uh, I was at, I was at the series uh, in St. Louis when Albert Pujols came back with the Angels last year, and uh, it had been it was the first time he'd come back to St. Louis as an Angel, and it was actually seven years in. If it would have been two years in, it would have been raw. And it would have been uncomfortable. People were very upset about him leaving. They wanted him to stay. He there was kind of some bad feelings he had toward the organization, and so people might have actually like been upset or even booed Albert Pujols if it would have been the year after that he left that he came back to St. Louis, or they or two years after, or even three years after. By seven years, everyone just wanted to appreciate what he meant, and when like like they, they didn't mean that they they didn't still feel sad that he was gone, or maybe they would have liked to to have worked out better than it did. But it had been long enough and, you know, they frankly had not been as good (laughs) since uh, they had not won a World Series since he left that you were able to like welcome him back. And so I would love to see it. Uh, I he was a lot more sprightly than I thought he was going to be uh, when he came back, to be honest. And uh, I think that now and frankly, not just that I think he's 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 got more more of his game left, uh, but he's also and maybe we'll be wrong on this, but it doesn't feel like Carmelo is going to be the guy that shows up and like, oh, you know, here we, we got to have he's not going to turn it into Randall. You know, where he's going to have the ball every time down the like it feels like it could be just a warm thing for everyone. So I'd love to see it. Uh, you know, it's he's, he was such a polarizing figure uh, during his time. But I think mo- largely uh, on one hand, understandably, but I think largely unfairly. I I've actually, if I'm being honest, I feel bad about how hard I was on him towards the end. But I agree with you. I think enough time has passed. I, I mean, you know, the Lynn thing, the Lynn thing was the worst possible thing. To do it's that. just I that's the thing <laughs> that I never fully got over. Um, and I think I, I don't know if I ever will get over it. But I think the other problem is, you know, I'm 37. I, I'm old enough to remember the 90s Knicks. And I feel like a lot of people I interact with on Twitter or what have you um, came aboard you know, like Mello was such a central figure to them. And to me, he was always someone that like, I'm inevitably going to compare him to Ewing and like all those guys and those teams. And I guess that's just not fair, right? Because the organization was just in a better place then. Um, so it's not his fault. So I, you know, I, I, I got to get over myself, I guess is what I'm, uh, I'm admitting. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it was, it was a lot of circumstances and whatever. I mean, the original sin was not his fault, yes. uh, which is they should have just waited <laughs> like they should have just waited and trading. Like I have always thought that that team uh, of all with with Chandler and with Gallinari and with those guys and then signing him in the offseason, call the bluff, call the bluff, you know, and uh, and if he doesn't if he doesn't sign. Uh, you know, the, the frustration of what Walsh kind of put together and then to have it kind of undermined. Uh, I mean, Carmelo came in a situ- came to a situation where. He had like they had to build a team around him. Whereas I think we've certainly discovered as Carmelo's career has got along, he is a great player, but you just he's not 
you shouldn't build a team around him, which is hardly an insult no, <laughs> like, at all. And so uh, to see what he could have been on a team like that would have been very exciting. But, you know, I, that, that's Dolan again. Right. And it really comes down to that. And I think that I think that the combination of what they gave up when they didn't necessarily have to to then D'Antoni and all that situation and then Lynn, uh, Lynn and then D'Antoni, you know, I mean, it, it, not all of it was Carmelo's fault. I think most of it wasn't Carmelo's fault. But, you know, I mean, this was the thing, right? Carmelo wanted to come and uh, uh, come home, as it was, and uh, and and make the Knicks uh, fantastic and get him in the title. And that didn't happen. It didn't really come close to happening. I will still argue that that's, uh, that series that they beat the Celtics was incredibly fun. That was <laughs> and, a lot of fun. And it was really a lot of fun. I've not forgotten that to be able to be at that game. Those games were, was really exciting, but uh, uh, certainly people did expect more. And, and not for nothing, Pacers game six, you know, the, obviously everybody's always going to remember the, the Hibbert, you know, block, but I, that was a great game too. That was a fun series. That, that team was, you know, they were a fun team. They were unique. They were ahead of their time. I'll, they'll always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. And, and again, you know, this comes into the larger thing. And maybe this is a larger discussion about Knicks basketball, but you know, one of, um, uh, I had this discussion after the Cubs won the world series, which is a hard thing still for me to say. I was say about to say, I did not expect yeah. to hear those words. It's a, it's a hard thing mouth. to say. Listen, I have argued for years and years, and years, Cardinal fans and White Sox fans, by the way, have been saying my entire life that if the Cubs ever won the world series, the world would come to an end. Well, I will have you know, like what, four days after the Cubs won the World Series? I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> saying. Four days after that was election day. I'm just saying. Um, but Can't anyway, write it. <laughs> uh, so so um, but when the Cubs won the World Series, you know, I, I had this discussion. I wrote a piece about this for Sports on Earth, the late Sports on Earth, about how, okay, now the Cubs have won. Who is the team – the next team that wins a championship that gets on the front page of the New York Times for winning one. Like what is – it's that big of a story that that it crosses over. Like how often – I used to always say the front page of Time magazine now that's – I mean Time magazine is not a bad magazine, but it doesn't obviously have the cultural cachet it did. But like those crossover sports stories. Sure, yeah. Those sports – and they aren't scandal. They don't involve scandal or don't involve you know so on. How, what are those things? Like and I – and like what are the things – that uh, what teams could win that would become a global story. And I, I basically came down to uh, the Cleveland Browns. I was, the they were Browns. the first one to come to my mind. The yeah. Cleveland Browns, uh, the Buffalo Bills, I think oh. would have to be on there as well. And I have to say, I think the Knicks are on there. You could maybe say the Cleveland well, Indians if you want to, but I do think the Knicks are on there. And I, I think, think the that, Knicks go ahead of the Indians because the Cavs at least brought a championship yeah, to that city. The Browns are different. That's their own, they're their own category of, tortured but yeah and i just think that like the, the the knicks might almost like i think that sports fans like me would love the bills and the and the browns uh but like the knicks to me that's it like everyone like everyone would want to get behind that like the, that listen after the knicks won the first one and then tried to win a second one everyone would hate the knicks again and that would be fine that would be totally fine i'll take but it I, I do think that if the knicks were going for that first championship i honestly think 
the na- the country would get behind them. Well, I, I really truly believe that. In the same way that everyone got behind the Red Sox, but no one will admit it now, and like no one will admit now that that 2014 people were rooting for the Red Sox. I know I was rooting for the team that the Red Sox killed in that series, and they were all rooting for people were rooting for the Red Sox. Now we won't admit because now screw the Red Sox. But uh, I do think the Knicks would be a team that, and I think everybody knows it. If you and this is why that lure is always going to be there because it is one thing to win a championship for the Lakers or to win a championship for heck even the Nets Durant if you want to go in that direction but I think everybody understands and I I've uh, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've worked on this a lot and touched a lot of people I think everybody understands that the Knicks winning the championship would be the biggest story the NBA could possibly have happen and and so to have that happen I understand why players are not flocking to New York to do that, but it would be a bigger thing. And I, it's not just Knicks fans that feel that way. And I, and I, it's fun to make fun of the Knicks, but if they ever got it going, it would be a huge, huge thing. And uh, I, I think that's why even with all the troubles uh, that, uh, and that's why Carmelo was attracted to coming. That's why Amari was attracted to come here. That's why, like, it's a thing that everybody wants and uh, the Knicks just have to get out of their own way. Yeah, they do. And, and by the way, you, did uh the last one that I could find? I know you did this every year. The the tortured NBA fan base rankings. The one that I found had that you had the Knicks fourth, the Raps, the Raptors, and the Clippers. You ranked second and third. They both owe you a debt of gratitude because I'm convinced their fortunes turned around purely because you put them so high in that column. Um, I think the Raptors were there because they just like they just had their pain. Right? They just had their great season. Like, maybe. This was before they won. So yeah. So I think that uh, uh, and, the, and the, to me, uh, the only reason the Knicks are four on that is because they've just won a championship and, and other teams haven't. And this is they true. have a they have a one win in my lifetime, <laughs> but they have one. This is the thing with the, I do one for baseball and Mets fans are always so mad because Mets fans I think torture is just like part of the job. It's one of the reasons they like the team, to be honest, is, is, is because, is because of how kind of painful it is to cheer for them. But I always want to be like, I always have them like six or seven on the list and people get so mad. I'm like, you like, I know 1986 was a long time ago, but like the Indians are 1940 and the Cubs are 1918, like uh, 1908. Like, you know, having a, having a world series championship, uh, particularly because the Yankees hoarded so many and the giants hoarded so many, it's hard to get them. And in the NBA, I think it's the same kind of way. Like the, the, their dynasties are such a big thing that it's rare. I mean, it actually is kind of rare for a team to just, win one and therefore when you have teams like the lakers and celtics winning so many it kind of hoards them a little bit and makes them feel uh perhaps um more rare than they actually are well no i agree with you and and the nba history does kind of you know skewed towards uh you're not just going to get one um i'll take one but yeah um, one's fine fine. we'll complain um which is a good transition to leon rose uh the men now tasked with uh assembling I mean, I, I, I haven't kind of come out fully and said it yet on here, but man, it's tough to not like everything he's doing. I'm curious, one, what was your reaction when he was first hired? And two, what, where are you at now, three months after the fact? I feel like every, the when he was, I'll put, so we'll start with when he was hired. I mean, it was clear. I was glad he wanted to do it. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. I understand that it was a risk, but like, you know, the whole thing, and I'm not sure every decision has been great already since, uh, since he started, but I, but you want someone 
who we can talk about connections. Yeah. You really just want someone who has as at least some history of being really good at something. Not for nothing, but like that counts. Like that actually does count a little bit. Uh, th- that's perhaps the level of desperation uh, that they were at. But I think that's, you know, I think we've seen, you know, even with the, with, even with the, uh, the, some of the people that they're talking about to potential to potentially be the coach. I'm glad that they're going through the process and maybe they're just going to hire Tibbs anyway. Uh, we'll find out. But like, it does feel like there were a time where like, oh, the big name is Tibbs, get Tibbs. And it feels like there's at least some sort of, uh, I, I know the word process is, is loaded with, no, uh, the, with, with this meaning. feels real. I, yeah, it, feels but real. It, it does feel like there is a plan. Now it might not work. And also plans get blown up all the time. Like people are like, like, wow, the 76ers, their process really worked. Their plan has blown up in like eight different ways. And, uh, and they've just kind of been fortunate in a lot of ways to, to, uh, to land the way they have, but it does feel, and again, we'll see, but all I've really wanted from the Knicks since I've I've been a fan of the Knicks for 25 years now, all I've really wanted from the Knicks is just to have some grownups in charge. Like it really is not that it, it doesn't. It, I don't. I don't think I'm. I'm shocking people with this, but you just want grownups in charge, and it feels like grownups in charge. It doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't mean that they can set together a plan and have it be blown up out of nowhere again. I felt like Walsh had a pretty good plan, actually. I think Walsh made a lot of good decisions, and it all got cut out from under him at the end. It could certainly happen I, again. I was about but to I, say, if he had chance to actually see those things through, then exactly, yeah. exactly, and so. Uh, but and so that to me, I am. I'll put it this way: I am more worried that the good decisions they're making, it's are going to build up to a point that a Walsh esque point where uh, it's uh, you make smart decisions and people get impatient, or Dolan gets impatient, or whoever gets impatient, and you make a rash move, um, like what happened with Walsh. And I say that not nothing against Carmelo, but you know, if they had just waited, things could have worked out. I think a lot better in that situation. And so, uh, to me, that's uh, I'm more worried about the legs being cut out from under them than I am Rose making a series of very stupid decisions because I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's been smart decisions so far. I am patient. It feels like, yeah. Do I wish that Knox were better? Uh, of course. Uh, do I, uh, I, I? I. By the way, it's my goal of mine not to have a Neil Aquino debate on this podcast. I, that's my gift to you, actually. That's and, my gift to you. <laughs> that, listen, uh, we. I, I am always up for any and all I, Frank Neil Aquino talk, I, as you know. I know, I know, but uh, my point is, is that like he's such a divisive figure for so many people that I, I'm, I'm just, I, my, my here's my Neil Aquino thought. I hope he works out. I like him. Like that's that's, nice like, kid. that that's that's my Neil Aquino take right there. Is um, I hope he, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff he does, and I hope he continues to improve, and they should keep him around. That's my Neil Aquino hot take. Um, but for me, like I obviously would like these guys to. I wish Knox were better. Uh, I think that there, there's, there's val, there's clearly stuff there though. And they are not they're 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 not jettisoning those guys. They're not packaging those guys for some new star. It feels like they're trying to build around and find the right guys. I wish the draft were better this year, to be honest. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you do what you can. And to me, you know, I the advantage that the Knicks have, and I say this all the time, the advantage they have is I mean, for Christ's sake, that the garden is sold out every freaking night. Like it's been sold out every freaking night since I have been a Knicks fan. Like it's absolutely absurd with how many bad teams there have been, how 
people are still into it. I was at, I, uh, I went to um, the, uh, every time the Knicks are in Atlanta, I know the last game was in Atlanta before this all stopped. And I was not at that one, but I was at the one in February, the one that went into double, the overtime. double overtime game. It was really, really fun. Uh, it was just a blast of a game. Uh, Robinson was awesome in that game. Uh, it was just a really, really got 35 minutes. I'm actually looking at the bar score right now. Uh, like it was just a really, really fun game across the board. And there were Knicks fans everywhere. <laughs> I was about to say, are there really that many Knicks fans down in Atlanta? Because it feels like there are every time you watch a game. With they them. are. They're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And, you know, I saw them play. Where did I see them play? Uh, Milwaukee. I saw them play in Milwaukee in early Giannis before he'd really kind of exploded. And the Knicks were not good then either. But there were Knicks fans everywhere. And that's like, you know, that's that is uh, I know people are like the Knicks are hopeless. Not if they've got that. They're not. And and I think that that matters, and I really truly do believe that matters. There were so many Knicks fans there, and and they weren't Knicks fans. And I know that like the culture of negativity can get so overwhelming that uh, uh, that people think that every Knicks fan is just muttering to themselves in the corner or, or clawing their eyes out. They're they're fan like they're loud, they're excited, they get they get amped up about that. Like Barrett had a good game, uh, had an okay game that game. They got fired up about this stuff, and it was a really really fun thing to see like that back and forth game to have the place make it a ton of noise every time the Knicks scores that is something for a lousy team <laughs> like the team was lousy and uh and, and the team the season had been chaotic but it was a terrific game and uh it was a blast to watch and so that is a place to start on this stuff and uh I, I feel like they understand that I feel like they understand that and listen it is still hard you know it's still hard we'll see what happens if everybody comes back it's still hard to get tickets to the garden it's still really expensive uh to go to a game and i don't think it's because just because dolan is just cracking the ticket prices up it's real like people still really want to go to the next games and uh i think that means something listen it's still i mean i don't have to tell you it's still when it gets going there is nothing even close um in uh certainly in basketball um so that's good we'll start to finish up i know you had a lot going on so i don't want to keep you for too long but like what is what is your bar next season for like Will Leach will be happy if what for the Knicks? I think, I mean, to me, the first and most important thing is you you want Bear to make the step forward. And I don't think he was bad this year. I, I think people are a lot of excited about it, but he needs to be not a superstar. I don't think anyone at this point expects him to be a superstar, but he needs to be a, okay, is this guy one of the best two or three players on a playoff team? And you need to know if he can make that support. I think he absolutely can. And I'm excited to see that. But, you know, you think you look at the roster and you think of people that like, listen, if this thing, I mean, this is always a question with any team, right? The next good team, who's on it? Yeah. Like who's on it? Who's going to be on? It? And if they're not on it, what can we get for them? And I know that that is, and I know this was a large part of the controversy when they signed Randall and they signed Gibson, they signed all these guys. And I, and I, and Portis and all those guys. And I get that. But to me, like, you know, the, it's, it's, it's Barrett, it's Robinson. You make, you play those. I know this has been a big point of attention with Knicks fans. And for good reason, I would argue like those guys got to play and they got to get better. And that to me, record is still frankly, not that important to me next year. Um, I know that's only so many years that you can say that, but you know, you, you want to see 
that uh, the equity that you've put in the last few years to uh, to to get these guys uh, to make the good decisions because that's the worst case scenario, right? You finally take a pause and you finally make good decisions and you still crap out on draft picks. <laughs> like that's the like that's the nightmare scenario. So for me, uh, I think that's the main thing. I mean, you know, to me, to see Barrett Robinson feels like we're gonna have a, like. He's 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 you know he's Mitch you know he, he what he's gonna be uh, we know what he still, is yeah exactly whereas Barrett and I think there's certainly room for improvement and there's things he's gonna be able to do and there's things he's gonna work on but yeah you've got like he I feel like Mitchell Robinson is a starter on a playoff team I, I like I think he and he I think he will be I, that for a while I think that's and, fair and uh, is he a star is he a, 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 a an all star game guy. Maybe, probably not, but like he's a, I think he's a starter for, for a playoff team. So there, there's one spot. You're looking for five starters on a playoff team. There you have one. And so hang Something. on to that guy. And lock, yeah, lock, lock that. And so is Barrett the next guy? That to me is what a lot of next year is about. Things like Neil Aquina, like, like and, and Knox, Knox to me, like those guys, now you're just looking to see, okay, can they be the seventh or eighth guy on a playoff team? I think Neil Aquino absolutely can. I still, I truly believe that that he can be a seventh or eighth guy on a playoff team, but he's not, you know, uh, people expect him to be more than I think Knox is having the same issue. Can you get them to that spot? And if there's someone that's not there, they need to get out. <laughs> like there's no, to me, this, this is kind of the frustration of Randall. I, the, the game that I saw him play in Atlanta, he was fantastic in that game. He was really, really good. But again, we all see the same frustration with Randall. We all, and it doesn't, it does as good as he is. And I think he gets kind of too much heat for it, but I understand it as good as he is. It feels like he's just kind of in the way. <laughs> uh, literally <laughs> and, and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah. And, and so for me, if if they're gonna do this right, it doesn't mean just like toss out, uh, throw out the throw out all your rookies and young players and just see what happens. I think there's value in Taj Gibson on this team, and and uh, I think there is value in guys like that. But to me, like if you need to find out next year, okay, is Knox worth keeping around or not? Is Neil Akiva worth keeping around or not? You need to be able to know that, and you need Barrett to to make the next step forward. And frankly, they need a point guard. I think we all well, know they need a point guard. And and the question is, uh, if you don't have one, get yourself in position to get one. I that you stole my next question. Uh, are you? Let's say they could get Chris Paul essentially for you know a, a bag of basketballs and a you know 2025 protected uh, second round pick. Do you want to take on that money? I mean, what? How long is his contract? It's two. Well, it it's one year with a player option that is uh, the the most guaranteed guarantee in right. the world of so sports. Two years. Yeah, so it's two years. Yeah, two years. I mean, I think I honestly like are they? They're not winning a championship with the next two years. Like, I think not. that is fair. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's a fair. A fair that's a fair thing to say, right? So yeah. uh, the idea that there's not a lot of value in him coming for two years, uh, like, listen, Paul drives a lot of people crazy, and I understand why he drives a lot of people crazy. But like, ain't no one gonna be slacking when Chris Paul's on the team. Uh, and yeah. and I think there is a lot of value in that. And, you know, and it, now the question is, does doing that cost them an important piece? Does it cost them something down the line? If it's a bag of basketballs and, and all the money, I think you do it. Because, I mean, I, I the only argument, I mean, 
no matter what happens next year, unless Barrett suddenly becomes incredible and they draft Ball, who's this incredible point guard, and blows everybody away, Giannis ain't coming. <laughs> Kawhi ain't I, I coming. keep trying to tell people this, and they, they, you know, some people don't want to hear and, it. And I, but, but, but I do think that, like, you know, you can to, – to me, the Durant is like the ultimate example on this, right? Like Durant – I think we, I, I've worked, I've been, I will tread carefully because I've been working on a long feature about Durant for New York Magazine. And so I'm kind of privy to some of the conversations about this. But like, I think that the the guy wanted, the guy wanted to go to New York. The guy, the guy wanted to play for the Knicks. <laughs> you can I don't just think say it. I mean, it looks. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he wanted to play for the Knicks. And, but who wants to, like, you only get so many years in your career and you see how you can get dragged to the bottom, even if you're awesome. Uh, and listen, I'm not sure the Nets situation looks nearly as stable as he thought it was uh, when he signed there. But certainly you need some proof of concept here. And right now there's not enough proof of concept for anyone to to come in and do that. You need you need I think someone like Paul, uh, the team's going to be better over the next two years uh, with him. And they're not going to win a championship with him, but they're definitely not going to win one without him. I think there's value in it. But again, you have to see the deal and you have to see what, like, I'm not putting Robinson in any deal. I'm not putting Barrett in any deal. Neil Keenan, I think you could, you could do it. But like, to me, it would hurt. You, it would hurt. It would hurt. It would hurt, but I get it. Right. Like I get it. And, and if it turns out that Neil Aquino discovers his offense in five years, he's an all-star. Like that's frustrating. But you also have to wonder whether that was going to happen in New York. And so that, that would be another question as well. I think there's value in it. And I also understand – I understand why fans would be very antsy about it because that's exactly the type of shit the Knicks do <laughs> that, drive, that drives people crazy. But I think if you can, if you can uh, find the, the, the deal that doesn't take away from what you're generally trying to do, I, I think that – I don't think it's – I don't think it's terrible at all. But that's – you know, you just said that's every – every move the Knicks will make for the rest of my lifetime uh, – I will look at the move and I'll say, is this, is this the next thing to do? Because if it is, it can't be good. But then it, you know, it, it just, it really makes you question your sanity after a while. Whatever. I'll I'll close on this. I remember, uh, do you remember that famous night uh, in uh, the Warriors when they were retiring Chris Mullins number? Uh, when they booed. Yeah. When they, when they booed, they booed. Right. And like, that was, uh, that was as toxic like you know, the great joke has always been if Dolan ever came to center court, like what would happen? <laughs> like if they gave Oof. him a microphone and just what would happen if Dolan went to center court? I think it would be worse than that. But like that's a good rough draft of how it was going to look and because that was a that was an organization at its absolute nadir, mm-hmm. like its absolute lowest level. And at the point, like the, even Warriors fans at the time were being like, okay, it is obviously – we're just trying to get a good culture here and we're just trying, it's going to take two or three years. And right now, every move we make, everyone's going to say, Oh, there go the warriors again. There they go. Screwing it up again. And now it's hard to like, people don't even remember that that happened. And so obviously I think the Knicks have a heavier lift, but it can be done. Like you can turn this stuff around. I, to me, I mean, the good, if you look at an NFL example of this, the Buffalo Bills are kind of the model organization in many ways right now. How frightening is that? And right, like, and I think they're favored to win the division. I think there's questions whether the ownership group will make sure that all the smart people in charge are paid and made sh- and and stay in charge. But you can, like, if you if you look at the at teams in in the NFL, the Bills are what the Bills 
executive group and the people in charge and the and and the people making the roster decisions at the kind of the roster construction are considered among the most respected and intelligent in the NFL right now. And it's the Bills. <laughs> like that's a team that everyone has been mocking forever. It's not impossible. I know it must feel like it's impossible for Knicks fans, but it's actually not. And so I do think it is a matter of of of, of catching a break here or there and just Having a proof of concept. It's all it takes. Those two things. Yeah. And you won't, you will not fall into a sinkhole if you come here. Uh, I think my new slogan for the the year ahead is going to be um, proof of concept. I think I may may actually get t-shirts printed up with proof of concept. That's all we need. Proof of concept. That's just like, listen, it doesn't mean win a lot of games next year. It doesn't mean it just, you just want to look and say, this is not if I go to the Knicks or if I get if I get drafted by the Knicks, if I sign with the Knicks, if I if I moved, if I make move my career to come here, it will not destroy me. <laughs> it will it will not end my career and or turn me into this terrible thing. I feel like bringing Carmelo back is another thing that could help with that, to I, be entirely honest. I and agree. So uh, I think that's what you're looking for. And uh, I don't it doesn't seem like that's too high of a bar. But uh, maybe it is. Listen, uh, I don't know that we could ever say that about any bar uh, around these parts, but I will I will be optimistic um, and I will I will say it is not too high of a bar. Um, Let's let's say this a year from now, if they figure it out, uh, you're going to come back on here and uh, you could maybe even sing sing some more praises of, uh, you know, what they're doing. How about that? I'll take it. And listen, you should know that I am notoriously optimistic about the Knicks. You should know that. You should know. And here's here, here's my Knicks fan history, just to give you give you an idea on this. I moved to New York. It hasn't been 25 years, about 20 years. I moved to New York. I lived in uh, – I grew up in the Midwest. And I moved to New York in January of 2000. And I okay. got there, and my baseball team is the Cardinals. And they had been actually very lousy in the 90s. They'd not been very good. They had McGuire, but they weren't very good in the 90s. And I was very frustrated. They hadn't made the they had, they'd made the playoffs once in 15 years. It's just not a good time for the Cardinals. And I got there. I did not grow up with an NBA team. I grew up in rural Illinois. We were at the University of Illinois basketball, but more of a college basketball family. But I got to New York and I like, I really want, like, I, I love the NBA, but I've never had a team. But I live here. This is my home. I am a Knicks person. I'm going to obsess with the Knicks because crying out, look at them. They've been so good. Look at they just made the finals last year. This is going to work out awesome for me. And uh, so the fact that I am a, a, probably about a thousand times bigger Knicks fan now after everything that's gone on for the last 20 years, uh, I think I, I hope I've earned my stripes. Uh, I would any person who became, became a tried and true fan after the like starting in this century, you yeah. you I, like, people are like I say to me that I deserve some type of medal. You deserve a medal. Uh, because wow, uh, but I am always optimistic because I really do. And listen, I will say uh, again, I was there for the Lynn thing. I don't need to tell everybody how great the Lynn thing was, but I did an interview with Spike Lee for New York Magazine a couple of years ago. I read it, yeah, and he said that of all the times he's been to the Garden, it's never been louder than it was during the Lynn. Right. He just says it's, he said the finals. He said uh, uh, there just hasn't been a moment. He said, OK, the, the Larry Johnson shot was louder. <laughs> but on the whole, on the whole, it was never louder than it, than it was during that time. So, uh, you know, and that team, you know, that I was I was covering the team for New York Magazine at that time from a total fans perspective. That was as exciting a thing as I've ever gotten to cover. And a large part of it was because people were so happy. 
People were so happy. And I think it's a, an example of of what Knicks fans are capable of and just how much found money there is out there. So that's why I'll always have optimism about it because when it happens, it's going to be so, so wonderful. That's what I That's what I keep telling. Any, anytime my wife looks at me and she's like, why do you do this to yourself? I tell her when it happens and it will happen. It's just going to be, this is all going to be, you know, water under the bridge. Um, and on that note, I think we're, uh, see, this is an optimistic Knicks podcast. I'm very proud. Of we it. had to end on a high note. Come on. Yeah. I, um, I'm, with I, I'm not even going to ask you about how upset you'll be if the NBA players, uh, spoil Black Widow or Mulan, because I want to, end. <laughs> I want to end on a high note. So, <laughs> that is uh, funny. uh, Will H, uh, can, uh, not that anybody should need, uh, your saying so right now to know this, but, uh, can you tell the folks where they can, uh, find you? Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm really bad at Twitter to be honest, but I'm on Twitter at William F Leach L E I T C H. But the best way to get my stuff is uh, I have a weekly newsletter, uh, William F It's free, doesn't cost any money at all, and it uh, comes out every Saturday. It has an original essay at the beginning, and then uh, um, uh, links to all the stuff I wrote that week. So uh, that's uh, the the newsletter is probably the pure stuff on tab. Uh, that, that's the best way to find it. Uh, I have to say your replacement movies. I don't know if that's the actual names of those columns, but they are fantastic. If you can't watch this, watch these. Um, I've been enjoying those quite a bit. I, that, the Vin Diesel uh, Find Me Guilty movie. He did a Sidney Lumet movie <laughs> like the, the, right before Before the Devil Knows, he dead, uh, knows You Dead, which is like the great final Sidney Lumet uh, New York New York movie. He made a movie called Find Me Guilty with Vin Diesel in a terrible hairpiece that is actually really good. <laughs> so that that was my recommendation because there's no Fast and Furious. Watch this weird Vin Diesel Sidney Lumet movie. We, we I think it'll make us all better people if we jointly do that. Um <laughs> Well, I, I seriously, I can't thank you enough for taking all this time. Um, this was a, a pleasure. It was an honor, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, let's let's hope we uh, have even more optimism to share next time we talk. All right. I am. Listen, we in a year we will do this podcast uh, to preview the Knicks NBA Finals. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> certain of it. Uh, let's do this every June. Let's do this every. I don't know. I guess we're going to change the schedule, right? Like, I, like well, now well, the baseball's so weak. We can they may, finagle it. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, yeah, but, but, uh, I guess I guess I guess if they do change the schedule, I guess it's just the end of the year. I guess it doesn't really matter at that point. But if there were previous, let's do this every June and see where our moods are. I, I'm definitely down for doing it. That sounds great. Um, so thank you again for coming on. And everybody listening at home, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We will be back with another one very soon. Yeah.